Hi friends, how's it going? Welcome, welcome to episode 31 of Internal Budget, which, according to a little blog called Feedspot, is the number six Ottawa Senators podcast out there. So thank you, the people, for making Internal Budget the number six Ottawa Senators podcast. Let's keep going. Why don't we? Why not? For this episode, you're probably going to hear some hammering and various um, unidentified noises. I live in an apartment in downtown Toronto that is doing major construction, of which I had less than one day's notice. Great city. Love it here. A lot of news to cover today, and right out of the gate, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, so let's get it out of the way quickly. There have been a lot of rumors floating around that the Ottawa Senators are going to attempt to trade uh, one or both of their third and fifth overall picks to the Rangers to get Alexi Lafreniere. Look, there was no universe wherein that was going to happen. It doesn't make sense. But yesterday, Eugene Melnick finally came out and said that the idea of trading those picks to get number one is nonsensical, and Eugene Melnick and I wholeheartedly agree on something, which which doesn't uh, happen very often. But yeah, like there's no universe where that's the best scenario for Ottawa. I saw a trade, everyone saw a trade yesterday for, suggested by a, a Rangers fan on Twitter that they were dunking on. It was something like, it was Lafreniere, Georgiev, and Tony D'Angelo to Ottawa for Brady Kachuk and the third and fifth overall picks. Now, not to again, not to spend too much time on this, but let's put aside the fact that it, this this guy thought that it was a fair trade for Ottawa to give up two top five picks for in a trade that involves Georgiev, a goaltender, an unproven goaltender that the Senators don't need, and Tony D'Angelo. What? But but the the icing on the cake is. Brady Kachuk. Now, to any GM and or armchair GM out there that wants Brady Kachuk in a trade, I've got three simple words for you. Go to lunch. Go to lunch. The Ottawa Senators are not trading Brady Kachuk. They should not trade Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk is the first player that the fans have identified with since the Stone and Carlson trades. Doing that would just cripple this fan base. I don't care if it's for Sidney Crosby or for Connor McDavid or whoever. Don't do it. And they won't. So this is a moot point. And again, I didn't want to spend too much time on it because of that. But I feel like I had to address it. Let's talk playoff hockey. There will be more Sens talk later on in the show. Not the guy Sens talk, but talk about the Ottawa Senators. Uh, But playoff hockey doesn't quite involve the Ottawa Senators, but it involves... Former Ottawa Senators, which is always fun. 
Mark Stone's Vegas Golden Knights have a chance to complete a five-game elimination of the Chicago Blackhawks tonight. They should have had a sweep. Uh, I believe it was Sunday night, but Corey Crawford stood on his head, had an unbelievable performance, and simply robbed Vegas of what would have been a well-deserved win. I don't see the same thing happening tonight. Uh, I, I think Vegas is going to send Chicago packing. It's a clear mismatch. Vegas is clearly the better team than the Blackhawks. But for my money, Vegas is not just a better team than Chicago. I would say Vegas is a better team than the vast majority of squads that are currently in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I picked Vegas to win the Stanley Cup when we did our playoff preview. And from what I've seen, they're the team to beat. And that's nothing against the Colorado Avalanche. That's nothing against the Boston Bruins, who now have a 3-1 series lead on the Carolina Hurricanes. You look at Vegas, and the thing that jumps off the page for me immediately is goaltending. You need goaltending to win the Stanley Cup. That's why I think Boston is in major trouble right now, because they don't have Tuka Rask anymore. And Yaroslav Halak has not looked great. Uh, he, he was horrible, frankly, in last night's game. Uh, but the, And even Colorado. Colorado cannot hold a candle to Vegas' goaltending situation. You've got uh, Philip Grubauer and uh, Pavel Frankus, who are both solid netminders, but they're not Marc-Andre Fleury and they're not Robin Leonard. If, if Marc-Andre Fleury is on your bench you probably stand a good chance of winning the cup. The Pittsburgh Penguins proved this to us uh, all too painfully for fans of the Ottawa Senators. When you have that tandem, it affords you an unbelievable amount of flexibility. Not only if Leonard starts not playing well, can they go to flurry, uh, not only is that a chance to get better goaltending, but it's a chance to wake your team up. It's almost like a reset button. We've seen it work. The St. Louis Blues just won two games in a row after replacing Jordan Bennington with Jake Allen. It's a strategy that often works in the playoffs. It gets a fresh face in net. It can psych the other team out a little bit, and it wakes your guys up. So if Vegas does get into trouble at some point, which... I don't see happening probably until the conference final. Then I really think that that is a distinct advantage for them. Aside from the fact that they have two of the top goaltenders in the league. It's it's unbelievable. What a great trade that was. What a steal. And then when you look at the rest of the lineup, we were talking about former senators. I didn't mean Robin Leonard. I meant Mark Stone. Mark Stone is my pick to win the Conn Smythe this year. And Vegas is top six as a whole. Stone is obviously their best player. I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's a hot take for me to say. But if you look at the rest of their top six, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Paul Statsny, William Carlson, Riley Smith, and you could even throw a guy like Alex Tuck in there. <laughs> like, who's going to beat this team? 
do they have mind-blowing Nathan McKinnon-style star power? No. But I would rather have two lines of great players than one fantastic line and two lines that can't compete with the others. That's not making a lot of sense. But what I'm trying to say is Vegas depth is going to carry them through. Their forward depth, in my opinion, is unmatched in this playoff. Other teams will probably out-talent them. Nathan McKinnon is more talented than anyone on the Vegas Golden Knights roster. You know, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron. Like, those are guys who, if they're not more talented than Mark Stone, then it's then it's close. But when you have a top six like that, you can throw almost any line out there and not be in a negative defensive position. And even the bottom six, Ryan Reeves, Alex Carrier, Nick Waugh, like these are high-energy guys. Chandler Stevenson is in there as well, a Stanley Cup champion. They're high-energy guys who are fantastic on the forecheck. They don't give up a whole time, a whole ton of time of possession. And they keep the puck pinned deep for the big guns to come out there and do their work. The only thing that I really foresee giving the Vegas Golden Knights trouble is injuries. Pacioretty, Statsny, those guys have already missed games. And it's really fortunate that Vegas won that first overall seed and they drew Chicago in the first round because it's a series that's probably going to be over quick. Uh, St. Louis and Vancouver, for example, is at least going to have two more games. Calgary and Dallas are are at least going to have two more games. You're going to get time to rest and get those guys back. But not only that, really, you can play these games without Pacioretty or without Statsny and win because you're that deep. And because Chicago's such a mismatch. And the, the, the Avalanche are in a mismatch against the Coyotes as well. But when you look at their probable uh, second round opponents, you know, these are teams that are going to be playing probably at Calgary. I think Calgary's going to beat Dallas. But if Dallas wins, that's, that's an even easier matchup. I really think the Dallas Stars are a pretender. And then maybe a Vancouver or St. Louis. That's a tough matchup for sure, especially the Blues. But Vegas being the top seed, they're going to draw the weaker of those two scenarios. And they're probably going to have an easier second round than Colorado. And they're going to go into the conference final fresher. And they're probably going to win. Just on the back of depth and goaltending. Vegas Golden Knights hockey, that's what they've been since they came into the league. They've been a deep team that gets great goaltending. Now they have arguably the best tandem in the league. I don't think it's a stretch to say they have the best tandem in the playoffs. And their forward depth has only gotten better. And they have that game-breaking talent like Mark Stone. So for me, Vegas is the team to beat. That's not a question. I think they've proven it. I think they will continue to prove it. And I'm really interested to see how the rest of the playoff plays out. I would be thrilled with a Vegas-Colorado conference final. That series would just be a war.
It would be a war. I think if Vegas ends up playing at, playing St. Louis at some point, they beat them. I don't see Vegas really losing to anybody, to tell you the truth, as long as they stay healthy. I promised you more talk about the Ottawa Senators, so let's do it. Let's talk about Eric Brandstrom, a guy I love talking about because he is so talented and so, so fun to watch. TSN 1200's Sean Simpson had some tweets, uh, and uh, I'm blocked by Simmer on Twitter, but they eventually found their way to me, and I got nothing against Simmer. Uh, I, I I like what he says a lot of the time. He seems like a really good dude. Uh, no ill will whatsoever, but he said, and he drew some controversy saying this, that he thinks Eric Branstrom's ceiling is that probably at most a solid NHL defender, like a three, four, three, number three, number four guy, which I don't think is totally unfair, but he also said that Branstrom is undersized and has a weak shot, and that's going to hold him back. Now, do I disagree that Brandstrom's ceiling sorry, maxes out at a 3-4 defenseman? No. I guess I, I totally disagree with that. Totally disagree. Sorry. There's, there's, again, these random noises, and I'm getting distracted, and it's just infuriating. Deep breaths. Goose for a while. Yes, I fundamentally disagree with his assessment of Brandstrom's potential. I think Brandstrom's potential is an, as of a Norris Trophy winner. I think he has star potential. But that's fine. Like, that's like that's really not too much of a disagreement, I don't think. I'm suggesting that he's going to be a top-pairing guy, and some are suggesting that he's going to be a middle-pairing guy. Fine with that. My fundamental disagreement arises from Simmer's assessment of Brandstrom's abilities. First of all, Eric Brandstrom's shot is a lot of things. But weak is not one of them. This kid has a cannon of a shot, of a wrist shot and a slap shot. And if you don't believe me, the only thing you need to do is log on to YouTube Look at Sen's Prospects highlight package of him from this year. Friend of the show, Sen's Prospects. Great guy. The authority on Ottawa Senators' prospects. And Brandstrom has a wicked shot. But his offensive ability as a whole is just incredible. His raw skill is amazing. The way he can stick handle, the way he passes, his vision. He has elite level offensive capabilities so to say he has a weak shot i don't buy that like it's just not true i I totally disagree with that assessment of eric branstrom now let's talk about the size this one is interesting to me because i i took the liberty of looking up the heights of NHL defensemen in order to compare them to Branstrom. So the average height for an NHL defenseman is 6'1", 210. Branstrom is, uh, I believe he's 5'10", 180 pounds. So right there, is he undersized? Yes. But let's look at the sizes of some other NHL defensemen. Quinn Hughes is the same size as Eric Branstrom. Kale McCarr 
is 5'11", 190. Ryan Ellis is the same size as Eric Brandstrom. Jared Spurgeon is 5'9". Tory Krug is 5'9". Sam Gerrard is about the same size as Eric Brandstrom. So shorter defensemen are fine. Like, there's clearly not a bias against smaller defensemen in the NHL. So is Eric Brandstrom shorter than average for an NHL defenseman? Yes, he is. That's correct. Is he technically undersized? Yes, by definition, that's correct. But being undersized isn't a problem for guys like Krug, guys like Ellis, Spurgeon, Gerard, Hughes, Makar. Will he hit the level of the top guys on that list? The the Quinn Hughes, the Kale Makars? I don't know. Maybe. He could. Like he has that kind of offensive ability to me. People may disagree with that. That's fine. I have no problem going out on a limb there. But to use that size as a knock against him, it, it's it's silly to me. It's an archaic way of thinking. Look, he's not going to grow, but he can put on muscle. Tory Krug's 5'9". He hits like a train if he gets you lined up. There's no reason to believe that Brandstrom can't be the same type of player. Especially when you consider he's not even 21 years old yet. He's younger than me, for God's sake. We haven't even given this kid a chance. Like, he's played a handful of pro games. He doesn't even have a full AHL season under his belt yet. Why are we rushing to make a judgment on Eric Branstrom? Especially a negative one. All he has ahead of him is potential. Like, we think we've seen everything there is to see from Eric Branstrom before he's 21 years old? Before he's played, what, 30 NHL games? I totally, fundamentally, wholeheartedly disagree and, like, there are people that say this kid has no offensive ability. Did he put up points in the NHL this year? No. But, again, he was, like, 20 years old. And when he went down to the AHL, he had 23 points in 27 games. So imagine what he's going to look like next year. Does he need more time in the AHL? Probably. I think he's a guy like Logan Brown who probably just has that one more extra step to take, and then he's fine. But to say he's undersized, to say he has a weak shot, to knock his offensive ability, don't don't agree. This kid has as good offensive ability as any defenseman in the NHL. Will his game round out to reflect that? Don't know. I think it will. I would bet that Eric Brandstrom is going to be a top-pairing defenseman by the time he's reached his full potential. 
That's how confident I am in this kid. That's how strongly I feel about it. And again, I like Simmer. I don't think he's a bad guy. I certainly don't think he's an idiot. But I don't think it's a fair criticism uh, to feel like you've made, you have enough to make a whole assessment on Brandstrom and completely ignore all the positive aspects of his game. That's how I feel about it. Let's get back to talking some playoffs. I want to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, this series with Columbus and Tampa Bay has been one of my favorites of the playoffs. Every game has been close. It's been hard fought. There's some clear animosity left from last year. And Columbus is giving the Lightning everything they can handle. Frankly, they probably outplayed them yesterday in Game 4, even though they did eventually lose, and they're now in a big hole down 3-1, having to win three games in a row against one of the better teams in hockey in order to move on. Will they do it? In the words of our Lord and Savior, Daniel Alfredson, probably not. But with what we've seen from this Blue Jackets team, how could we count them out, both last year and this year? John Tortorella had an interesting quote after Game 3 where he suggested that his team may have, quote, hit the wall. And what he means by that is they're a team that's been redlining since the qualifying round. They played five hard-fought games. They may be out of gas. They've had injuries. They've gone from Corpus Allo to Merzlikens back to Corpus Allo. They've faced a lot of shots on goal. It would be understandable that they're banged up and that they're, they're out of gas. But one thing I really want to draw attention to is their time on ice per games played. And I compared it with that of the Lightning. Now, this is these are the stats taken from after game three, so they may not be totally accurate now, but it's, it's still in the same ballpark. So for Columbus, Seth Jones is the top guy in terms of minutes. He averages 33-23 a game. Zach Wierenski averages 30-29. David Savard averages 26-53. Nick Foligno averages 23.54, and Gus Nyquist, Boone Jenner, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Cam Atkinson all average more than 23 minutes a night. For Tampa, Ryan McDonough is their top guy at 28.32. Surprised me too. Mikhail Sergachev averages 25.29. Eric Cernak averages 25.19. Victor Hedman averages 25-11. I, th- I think he's banged up, and they're kind of trying to rest him while they're playing him, if that makes sense. And Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point are the only forwards above 23 minutes. You have to think if Steven Stamkos was healthy and playing, he'd be in, be in there as well. But I digress. Columbus has five forwards that play more than 23 minutes a night. Tampa Bay has two. Columbus's top guy, top defenseman, plays five more minutes a night than Tampa's top defenseman. And not only that, Tampa ha- or Columbus has two defensemen 
that play more minutes than Ryan McDonough, who has the most minutes for the Lightning. It stands to reason that the Lightning are going to have more gas later in the games. And it's probably why we're not seeing the third period comebacks from Columbus that we did uh, against Toronto and early in the series against Tampa. And let's keep in mind, too, that first game went to five overtimes. So that's pretty much a whole extra game that Columbus has played. So counting the qualifier, factoring in that overtime game, Columbus has played mm, about 10 games since since the return to play. And exhibition, make it 11. The Lightning played four in the round robin, one in exhibition, and they've played four now. So that's nine. So they've played nah, about an extra game. Or Columbus has played an extra game, sorry. But it's not just the extra game, it's the stakes. Columbus was playing for their lives for the majority of the series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is the first time that Tampa has had to deal with this kind of pressure and that kind of atmosphere in the game. I really don't think that round-robin games against the Bruins and the Flyers and the Capitals were as intense, as physically and emotionally demanding as elimination games against the Toronto Maple Leafs and late series games against the Lightning. When you factor that in with the emotional stress of playing for the Stanley Cup and being isolated in a bubble far away from your family, it would make sense if the Columbus Blue Jackets are out of gas. Are they? I don't know. I don't want to jump to that conclusion I'm not in that dressing room that's not for me to say but there has been a noticeable difference in the way they've played they've played well against Tampa they're giving the lightning everything they can handle but to me anyway there hasn't been that sense of the Blue Jackets aren't out until the final horn when they went into the third period down, I think it was two goals yesterday, or it might have been down a goal, I wasn't thinking that the Blue Jackets were going to come back. I really wasn't. Will they rattle off three wins in a row and eliminate the Lightning? Honestly, with this team, nothing would surprise me at this point. But I really do believe that Columbus needs that game breaker. They need a guy like Artemi Panarin, who they lost. And the reason for that is you can roll four lines all you want. That's fine. It'll get you far. But when you come up against teams that are more rested and you're tired, those star players are going to exploit you. And they're going to take advantage of the fatigue factor. So you need guys that can do the same. I said, in, I said in our playoff preview that Columbus can't score goals. They've still had a hard time scoring goals. So when you're facing a team like the Lightning, who has an Andre Vasilevsky in net, who has Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev on the point, you need guys who can score when no one else can. 
Nick Foligno is not going to put up Conn Smythe-worthy point numbers. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been awesome. Cam Atkinson has been pretty good. But you need those elite point scorers come playoff time. And that's the balancing act. If teams are top-heavy, like the Leafs, where they have a lot of talent and not much depth, they're going to lose. If teams are bottom-heavy, like Columbus, where they have a ton of depth but not much talent, forward talent anyway, Seth Jones is an amazing defenseman, then you're in a pickle. So will, will Columbus come back? I don't know. But this is kind of the crossroads for them. Because if they win this series, they probably stick with what they got. But to me... They're a team that's got to explore free agency. They've got to explore trades. They've got to find young, cheap talent, which is unfortunate because their their uh, pick and their cupboard in terms of draft picks is pretty bare at this point. But that's what Columbus needs to take that next step. I think. Will they prove me wrong? Maybe. It would be fun to watch. I kind of hope they do. But. I think we've probably seen all that this Blue Jackets team has. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. They put in a great performance against Toronto. Going down to Tampa, there's no shame in that. Tampa's a fantastic team, even without Stamkos. But I think there's a foundation in place in Columbus that could go all the way. It just needs those one or two more pieces to really put the whole thing together. And finding a consistent starter would be nice, but like we've talked about already, tandem goaltending tends to work really well in the playoffs. Let's get to some questions. You guys had put in a lot of questions this week. Thank you. Um, Like I said before, I really appreciate all of you listening to the podcast every week, and the engagement just makes it better. It's, It's fantastic. It means the world to me. Seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Got no Greg, my brother. Why is Brady Kachuk the savior of this team, and why should we have faith in Dorian repeating this beautiful thing? Um, well, Brady Kachuk, we know he's the savior of the team. Uh, I don't want to put that on him. But we love him, and we love him because of his mentality, and we love him because of the way he plays the game. He never takes a shift off, and he's incredibly effective. And he seems like a great dude. There's not much more to it than that. Uh, why should we have faith in Dorian? Because we've seen the last few drafts. Um, we've seen the guy make something out of nothing time and time again. He's capitalized on draft position, even when the picks have surprised us. Even when trading guys like Eric Carlson and Mark Stone, it's yielded returns like Josh Norris, like Eric Branstrom, like the third overall pick in this year's draft. I think Pierre Dorian has earned our trust. I think he is handcuffed by certain restrictions that other GMs probably don't have to deal with. But I'm comfortable with him leading this rebuild for now. Peter Raymakers, where does Cody CC end up in the offseason, and why is it the New York Islanders? <laughs> you know what? I, I could kind of see it. Um, I don't know where he ends up. I think it's going to be somewhere for cheap. But I do think someone will pick Cody CC up. Could it be the Islanders? Yeah, they're probably going to need cheap defensemen because they might lose a guy or two. Just because of cap reasons, they need to re-sign Matt Barzell and Pulak and Taze. But the Islanders wouldn't shock me. 
Ross, was Pajot actually underrated by Sens fans? He looks amazing as a third-line center on a better team. I don't think so. Um, I think we saw Pajot play pretty much the same way when this team was a contender in 2017. I think we know exactly what J.G. Pajot is. He's probably tops out at a solid second-line center, but he's incredibly effective in that third-line role. I don't think that means Sense fans underrated him. I think, at least for me anyway, this is what I always kind of thought J.G. Pajot was. I think there were some fans that underrated him, especially based on this season. But I think we all kind of... The, the majority of us knew what Pajot was. And for right now, he's a far better fit for the New York Islanders than he is for the Ottawa Senators. Mac Miller forever, at Sassy Saslove. I uh, generally think I haven't seen a team scarier than Colorado during the restart. Their depth is crazy, and Nate is the best player remaining in the playoffs. He has been unreal. Can't argue with any of that. I think, like I said, I, I favor Vegas, but Colorado has looked dynamite so far. Ron, at Father Fanoff, Kale or Quinn? I was firmly in the Kale camp going into the playoffs. Um I still am. I still think he should win the Calder, but Quinn Hughes has been unbelievable. Really take your pick with either of those guys. It's such a it's so hard to pick one between them because they're so talented and so young and their ceilings are so high. I'll go Kale, but it's damn close. Brian wants to know what's the best type of apple. We already did this one with Spencer's episode. Um I don't know. I like red delicious apples. That's controversial, but Damn, I don't know. Derek, Brandon, or Chris Tanev? You can only pick one. Who are you taking? Uh, Chris Tanev. James, you are a sick freak. Sends 3D Centurion branded boxers or 2D branded briefs? Uh, I'd go with the boxers because I'll prioritize comfort over looks. It's underwear. You know, who cares? Taylor, what do you see as the biggest question mark heading into next season that could halt the Sens from taking a step forward? Great question. I think ownership is the easy answer, but I'll go a little deeper. To me, I think the biggest obstacle or the biggest question mark is the draft. Uh, Is Ottawa going to get two fantastic players? Probably. But they're not there yet. We don't know who they're going to get yet, and we don't know how those guys are going to develop. And the Senators are relying heavily on this draft for the elite talent that they're going to need to push them forward. They have the foundation in place with their own prospects, but they need those guys that can bust a game open. They need those elite point scorers. So that's the biggest question mark. Uh Will they take a step forward as soon as next season? I hope so. I think so. Um but that would be the major factor to me. Canada fan at six send six one three army. Do you believe the the LA Kings Stutzel rumor saw Sam Cosentino pick Sanderson at five? Is he really better than Drysdale and do the Sens need a defenseman? I think the Kings will take Stutzel, but I am also an idiot who knows nothing, so I would not be shocked if they took Byfield either. I think there's a reasonable chance they take Stutzel. They have some good center prospects, so they might opt for the winger uh, and a guy who's more pro-ready than Quinton Byfield probably. But 
yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Would I pick Sanderson at five personally? No. I think either way there's going to be a better player available. That's not a knock on Sanderson. I think he's a top 10 guy. Uh, would I pick Drysdale over him? Probably. Um, but I want the Senators to take another forward at five. A Lucas Raymond would be fantastic. Uh, do they need a defenseman? First round, you take best player available, right? Uh, they need a solid right-hander that can complement Thomas Shabbat. But I think you find that guy by trading for him within the NHL rather than uh, look for it in the draft. Uh, you've drafted right-handers the past couple of years and Bernard Docker and Lassie Thompson. I don't see a reason to draft another defenseman that early. Uh, the draft, do you see Ottawa using all their picks or trading them? That comes from Colby Shearer at Shearer Colby. No, I definitely see them at least trading one. Uh, there's no, there's no reason to use all that picks. If I'm auto, if I'm Pierre Dorian, I'm working hard to convert some of those picks into a solid right-handed defenseman, or maybe even another bottom six forward. Um, there's no reason to use that many picks. At some point, you need guys that can play in the NHL. So I would definitely use some of them when you have that much of a, of a surplus, and I think Ottawa will do just that. And guys. That's it. That's going to do it for episode 31 of Internal Budget. Thank you so much for listening as always. Thank you for the great questions. And thank you once again for making Internal Budget the number six Ottawa Senators podcast according to Feed Spot. It's great. I really appreciate it. You know I really appreciate it because I tell you all the time, but I'm going to keep telling you. So I really appreciate it. Please like the podcast, share the podcast with your friends, download, subscribe, and that five-star rating is huge. Please, on whatever platform you're on, give me that five-star rating. It goes a long way. It means the world to me, and I'll be your best friend forever if you do it. Make sure you continue to stay healthy and stay safe. Enjoy these glorious days of hockey all day that we have right now. And tune in for episode 32 next week. Take care, y'all.